Hello and welcome. It's Monday, a new week, and it's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. I am David Cooper. It is This Is Going Well, I Think, the only show where no one's listening, no one cares, and every episode's the last episode. Today, we're going to talk about a very important topic on the global scale. That's right, blue balls. You know, what allegedly happens or not so allegedly happens when you're sitting there wanting to do the sex for so long, all horny-like, and then boom, you don't do the sex. And it's supposed to hurt. Ouch, it's supposed to hurt. Surprisingly, it hasn't been researched until relatively recently, and we're going to talk to a professor of psychology associated with that study at Queen's University in Canada. She's going to walk us through all things blue balls and a troubling outcome from actually studying the matter. So while this topic is one part silly, it's another part serious. So strap in, we're diving in with Caroline Pakal. Good, Caroline. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, thank you. It's good to meet you. Likewise. And my producer gave me the longest intro for you. Professor, Department of Psychology, Center for Neuroscience Studies, School of Rehabilitation Therapy, Department of Biomedical and Molecular Sciences, and Director, Sex and Relationship Therapy Service, Psychology Clinic at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Right. Did I get it right? Yes, you can absolutely even just say professor of psychology at Queen's University in Canada. <laughs> like that's per, that's my main affiliation. <laughs> and if people are interested, they could look me up and see all the other bells and whistles associated with my title. Good. Well, let's dive in. Blue balls. Let's start here. What attracted you to this research growing up as a young child in Canada, a boy in the 90s? The phrase blue balls got thrown around a lot. I never thought to take it seriously. Maybe that is why people are researching it, because it's just kind of an urban legend up until this point. Yeah, that's definitely one of the reasons. I think everybody or most people have heard about the experience or have experienced some degree of blue balls kind of out there. Um, You know, whether they have been on the receiving end of a partner sort of saying, hey, finish me off, like I'm in pain, or being a person themselves saying, I need to finish off because I'm kind of uncomfortable, or hearing about people who've had those experiences, right? Um, so growing up, you know, as a, as a tween, as a teen, these, these stories are kind of everywhere. Um, and some people have interacted, you know, with personal experience, either being sort of the blue ball person themselves or on the receiving end of a person themselves. So I work in the larger area of pain in the genital and the pelvic area. Um, And I mainly focus on people who have very mysterious kind of pain conditions on the vulva. So just on the outside, the external genitals, um, you know, in people who um, are assigned female sex at birth. Um, And I have been sort of slowly moving towards kind of pain sort of in the penile area, scrotal area, etc. And blue balls is something that 
everybody has heard of and there is actually no research out there at all. And I thought, is it because it's not being taken seriously? Is it happening? And, you know, people are being invalidated and dismissed by their healthcare providers. Um, when it is happening, how serious is it? Um, you know, what are sort of, what do people do to sort of solve their blue balls issue, right? And how many people are actually on the receiving end of coercion when this happens? Um, so uh, I paired up with Science Versus, a podcast and, you know, sort of uh, team members, Wendy Zuckerman and Blythe Terrell, um, and launched a, a very just informal kind of almost fun survey looking at blue balls and sort of, you know, what are people's experiences? If they've had pain, how painful is it? And, you know, um, is it restricted to people with balls? Um, and we had tons of people fill out the survey. So people were sort of self-classified as to whether they had a penis or a vulva. So a bit binary there in terms of, you know, sort of like classifying people, knowing that there is a continuum between those two. Sure. Um, and ask them basic questions about whether they've experienced it, if they have, how painful is it? Um, you know, um, and had open text boxes as well. And also like just sort of did a frequency count of how many people have been coerced to continue sexual activity or at least approached in that way, um, you know, in terms of a partner having blue balls. And so we found out that, you know, more people with penises than vulvas. But the point here is that people with vulvas can also have sort of this uncomfortable sensation um, in their genital area if they don't have an orgasm. So anybody like, you know, blood flow and sort of the processes that lead to this discomfort, they're not like, oh, you know, here's a vulva, we're not going to bother this person. Like, oh, and here's a penis, let's bother this person a lot. It can happen, right? So sexual arousal involves a lot of things kind of going on in genital and non-genital parts of the body. Um, you know, and like the processes themselves don't know what kind of genitals they're kind of going into. So this process can happen to anybody who's had prolonged experiences of arousal without that release and that release being orgasm. And, you know, some people will experience like mild discomfort and some people will experience like actually quite severe pain, but that is in the minority. So certainly um, it exists but it seems to only be a really distressing and problematic issue for a small amount of people. Um, and we don't want to dismiss or invalidate it, but we do have to say it's not as sort of rampant and as like dangerous and as painful and horrible, I think, as we've all heard growing up, right? Yeah, I, for me growing up, it, it was never really a thing. And, and I do want to talk about this coercion component in a little bit, but I also want to rewind to what you're saying. To me, it's not surprising that there's a term that everyone knows with sexual health and sexuality that has no research into it at all. I remember as a younger person watching that movie Kinsey, and I know this was in the middle of the last century, but what it really imprinted on me is that sexual health, there are just wide gaps that aren't well understood. Absolutely. You're totally right. Like, you know, people sort of think about me. So I'm a, you know, I'm a sex researcher. And so people are like, oh, do you do sex education? No, I don't. Right. Like there's a whole world out there. Um, sort of um, sex research as a formal sort of science only started pretty much in the 1940s and 50s with Kinsey and Masters and Johnson. Right. Uh, there were case reports and other things written like, you know, sort of before them. But formal research really only started, um, you know, like 70 years ago 
ago pretty much. So it's a really young field and there are huge gaps in the knowledge of knowledge, but not only are there gaps, which is concerning in and of itself, there's a ton of misinformation out there. Um, so oftentimes, you know, people will send me TikTok videos and be like, how true is this? Right. And I'm like, well, on a general level, it's kind of true sometimes, but really it's not accurate. Um, you know, and, and so I, I think it's really important that people understand that things are always a little bit more complicated than we may assume them to be. And like a headline may be great and a TikTok, you know, 10 second video may be fantastic, but it's never going to really tell you the full story. Um, so we not only want to sort of fill gaps, but we also want to correct some misinformation. And part of why this was on our radar is because there was a TikTok posted from a person who was assumedly a man saying that blue balls was essentially um, something used to coerce partners to engage in sexual activity. And the uproar that it can that it just ensued was was just wild. And people were just so upset, you know, relating their own experiences and, you know, of being coerced and saying, you know, it was just it just was just this huge blow up, you know, sort of in in TikTok land. And the video was subsequently removed. Um, and we're left with sort of, yeah, like here is something that people, some people at least might be using as an excuse, but the coercion aspect is a huge problem Sure. in terms of, you know, sort of outcome in terms of trying to convince someone to finish you off. What if you've got time for someone to just quote unquote finish you off? Don't you have time to go to the bathroom and entertain yourself and then not coerce anybody? I am 100% with you, right? Like you've got hands, I'm assuming you've got ways, right? And so why don't you finish yourself off? Why does this now have to become someone else's issue, especially if they've said, I want to stop here? Yeah. That is a very clear communication. So it speaks to sort of perhaps, you know, um, a lot of layered things. I think that people make assumptions about in, in sort of sexual scripts and kind of sex world out there is that perhaps some people believe that, you know, sort of uh, pleasure of people with penises kind of overrules sort of the limits that a person with a vulva, let's say, you know, may be placing on the sexual context uh, such that maybe penile pleasure overrules or, you know, at least should be entertained is more important than a person's wishes to not continue sexual activity. Um, it also may speak to kind of gendered roles out there in terms of um, especially in heterosexual contexts where this is happening, where women are the ones, you know, who are expected to sort of like help people out and be nurturing and supportive. And so maybe there's a little bit of that creeping into the bedroom, um, you know, and there's there's lots of these scripts and these narratives, I think, that are playing into this one finding, you know, that people with vulvas overwhelmingly reported being coerced into sexual activity due to a, a partner with blue balls or blue whatever, you know, sort of like uncomfortable genitals. Um, and um, overwhelmingly, and there were uh, uh, certainly some people with penises saying they were also sort of coerced, but the, the numbers were much lower. And we don't know sort of what genders their partners were because we didn't ask that question. But let's say in a heterosexual situation, um, you know, sort of it speaks to the fact that, you know, a person with a penis may feel that their pleasure overrules sort of like the wishes or the limits being set by the person that they're engaging with, um, you know, who has a vulva, which speaks to, I think, a lot of 
a lot of societal sort of ideas about sort of the power of sort of like patriarchal society, about pleasure being a man's domain in the sexual arena, where it's not so much the women's domain, right? And it really kind of troubles, I think, introduces some troubling sort of assessments of these messages that we're receiving explicitly and implicitly, you know, through our society. So you go into the study, I imagine, as a researcher, as a scholarly pursuit with an open mind, kind of digging into this one condition like blue balls. And then you come out the other end with notes about the patriarchy, about coercion. Were you surprised at this question around this just physical affliction? You come out the other end with these findings or is this very common? Well, you know, I that's a really good question. So I was surprised at how little um, sort of severe pain was reported. I was actually expecting there to be much more severe pain being reported by people who experienced it, but it was really not as severe as I thought it would. And I thought maybe this is something that is really worthy of like, you know, putting it on the maps of, you know, physicians and things like that. Maybe we should open up more conversations. So I was a little bit surprised at that. But having grown up, you know, sort of in a world, right? So, you know, I'm I'm a little bit older than you, I think, David. So having grown up in a world where sort of sexual situations were um, with sexual scripts and sort of the primacy of like sexual pleasure for people with penises was sort of the norm, um, for many decades of my growing up, the coercion piece was actually not very surprising to me. But to see it actually in numbers for the first time was absolutely concerning and very upsetting, even though I was expecting it. I was actually hoping that it wouldn't be as high as it was, but I was expecting it to be high, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, it really speaks to communication. It really speaks to you know, having talks about consent, you know, we, we've been talking about consent, like really explicitly for quite a while now, you know, these weren't conversations that were being had with me when I was growing up. But probably for the last what, 10, 15 years, it's been really on the radar. And I was kind of hoping, you know, maybe things were a little bit kind of better out there. Um, and maybe they are, I don't know, maybe things were worse 10 years ago, maybe they are better now. But it made me feel a little bit um, just quite upset and a little bit concerned. Well, actually quite concerned. <laughs> I want to downplay it. <laughs> no, I now that I hear these findings, I'm concerned too. Maybe in certain ways, consent and, and the culture around that's improved, but maybe this is just one of those awful sneaky ways where it flies under the radar and it's still used as an excuse to coerce. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and research has actually also shown that in the heat of the moment, people are not using really good judgment making skills or request kind of skills, right? So when you're really turned on and you're you know, sort of going through these awesome things, like something that you may have said no to before, may you may be changing sort of your idea is just because you're kind of caught up. You're not really thinking logically, right? And so maybe the requester normally wouldn't request, right? But is requesting because thing, like they're so turned on, right? And maybe the person is co like, you know, sort of agreeing to it. Um, whereas like in the moment, because decision-making is quite impaired when you're sort of thinking sexy thoughts and being really caught up in that moment. So I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, and I'm sure we could have asked the question a little bit more fine-tuned like it was sort of like have you ever been so of course the numbers were high but it would have been really interesting to find out like when was the last time how many times had this happened like you know um 
what do you mean by coercion? Like, did you do it? But but you were really into it then, you know, after and like, what is coercion really? Right. So I think we could have asked more nuanced questions about those. But I think as a first pass, I think that um, it was really illuminating. And we would like to sort of follow up this survey with more in-depth questions about how to negotiate this, um, you know, and sort of and what, you know, what is coercive, essentially sort of in a situation, depending on partner status, depending on a whole bunch of things. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear around when this has happened as well in this survey, because you mentioned norms around consent and coercion when you were growing up. And I've been rewatching the TV show Cheers. Yes. And it's funny and it holds up. But there's just I'd say every two or three episodes, a scene where I'm like, what the hell is going on here uh, in terms of that stuff? So it's weird. It's not that it offends me, although it does. It's just to think that this would have been accepted back in the 80s and now it just wouldn't. And I don't know what the implications are for actual sexual interactions that people are having. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure there's a question tucked in there. I'm just curious about it is all. Yeah, I, I really do think, you know, sort of um, I think I think if we had done this survey, you know, sort of in the 80s, the numbers would have been much higher and probably we'd see those numbers dropping off, but not quite down to zero just kind of yet. It may depend on the generations of people ages, right, in terms uh, we had a predominantly sort of 30 something year old, you know, sort of sample with an age range. But you're right. I think kind of looking at the context of being a teen especially this seems to be something that kind of happens with people who are primarily sort of like discovering their sexuality and kind of testing parameters around it maybe having two hour long makeout sessions you know but not going any further than that and a lot of people in our survey was saying oh it's kind of a young person kind of thing like it's sort of less of an issue later on in life right so I wonder if you know like if there are nuances that we missed you know sort of analyzing the sample as a whole uh, in terms of when did you experience your kind of like huge like sort of sexual exploration phase right like what decade and looking at the norms of sort of sexual activity um, at that point and seeing how that may have changed, you know, sort of with our older versus our younger samples who responded to that. Maybe the proportions were higher in people my age versus people, you know, in their 20s, et cetera. So. Got it. All right. Well, I don't know. Lightening up a bit. Were there any fun takeaways, any ridiculous takeaways, anything in terms of anatomy that surprised you while doing this? Um, you know, I've been working in sexual sexuality for a very long time. I'm not sure if like a lot really surprises me, but I was really, really thrilled, um, you know, to sort of see people um, sharing a lot in the open text boxes. And I'm trying to think of something that might be sort of a standout for me, um, but I, I can't really think of anything offhand, really. I thought... I loved hearing what people had to say about it. And I read every single quote with so much interest. Um, and But there was really nothing that like sort of shocked or sort of really surprised me. Um, but it was just so amazing to hear people's voices through the survey generally. Yeah. All right. Well, for me, the takeaways are blue balls and blue vulva is real. Yes. Overwhelmingly, the effects are minor, if anything at all. Occasionally, small minority, it's major. But no matter the effects on you, don't coerce people. And if it's really a problem and you're of time to coerce someone, which you shouldn't, go to the bathroom and masturbate. Or take a cold shower or like go, run, go for a run. <laughs> Do anything, but don't implicate people in your own, you know, your own sort of issue, especially if it's been very clearly stated. So, yeah. 
And don't run and masturbate at the same time in public. Uh, you can at home on a treadmill, but just that's a crime, I think. I don't know. I, I think people are opening themselves up to like actual injuring, you know, sort of actually injuring themselves if they're running and masturbating at the same time because you sort of need your hands for balance. <laughs> All right, Caroline Pucall, thanks so much for talking with me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on the show, David. 